Hello everyone, this is Mustafa Al-Habubi, an AIM physician. Today's episode will be on DKA and the pediatric population. I'm joined today with my friend and colleague, Dr. Noh Marzouk. Dr. Marzouk is a pediatrician and an EM pediatric physician. Welcome, Noh. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, and thank you for being with us today to share your pediatric experience. Before we start the case, I would like to remind our listeners that the details discussed in this case and in this episode are for educational purposes only. They should not be applied in a real clinical scenario without the consultation of a medical specialist. The cases discussed in this episode will be altered to protect the patient's identity. No, you told me you have an interesting case to share. Would you mind sharing it with us? Yeah, of course. So um, I've had several different cases of DKA during my fellowship. And um, there was one case that um, I wanted to bring up just to highlight the importance of having DKA as uh, one of your differential diagnoses um, because the management is uh, particular. You need to be careful on how quickly you uh, treat the patient with insulin and fluids because of risk of cerebral edema. So the case that I have is a eight-year-old um, that uh, came to the ER complaining mostly of uh, fever and abdominal pain and mommy, the mom thinking that he's a lot more sleepy. Um, the story is that uh, the whole family had uh, what they thought was the flu. They all had a runny nose, cough, and some fever. But uh, while they were getting better, the eight-year-old girl was only getting worse and worse and started to vomit, uh, have abdominal pain, and being more and more uh, fatigued. And that's why they came to the eMERGE. Um, when she was seen in the eMERGE, her heart rate was uh, pretty elevated at 150. Um, she was brought to the recess room, and uh, the doctors came in to see her. They first were very worried about the possibility of sepsis, given the fever, vomiting, and how she looked. Um, when it came to her vitals, it was, uh, the, as I mentioned, the heart rate was elevated at 140 to 150. The blood pressure was uh, around 90 systolic, which is acceptable for her age. Um, and her GCS was around 14. When they did start their ABCs, um, they were worried about her perfusion. They were worried about uh, maybe distributive shock or versus hypovolemic shock since she was vomiting so much. They put in uh, two IVs and uh, started her in a bolus, 20 cc's per kg. Um, but uh, later on, as they were going down to their EED e, part of their uh, ABCDE, they found that the glucose was elevated. That uh, that changed their management. Have, after getting a few, getting the first bolus, however, she did start to show signs of cerebral edema, um, which is one of the complications of um, the uh, the of DKA in children, about 1% developed this. Um, the patient had the management changed a bit with the fluids decreased to 
and wound up going to the uh, ICU afterwards. Where she was managed, and she, she, um, the cerebral edema, uh, or what was suspected, had uh, improved in the end, and she was fine in the end. Fantastic. Thank you. That's an interesting case and highlights sometimes that, uh, yeah, we think the patient may have sepsis or other um, medical conditions, but then uh, DKA is, is the cause. Um, you, 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 your, your case highlighted some of the challenges um, I find when I, do, when I did my pediatrics emergency rotation. Compared with adults, uh, in adults, almost any patient that comes to to emergency room will be uh, pricked and they will have labs done to them. While in peas, it's not the case always. And, and in, in peas, we, we deal with so many um, upper respiratory tract infections and gastroenteritis. And when I was preparing for this episode, I found that there could be a relatively considerable rate of patients who present initially with type 1 diabetes, pediatric patients that get labeled as gastroenteritis, and then only for them to present later as DKA. And it was considerable amount from the study I read. My first question for you is, this is your experience. And my second question for you, if I practice pediatric emergency in the future, what should I look for in these patients so I don't miss um, um, type 1 diabetes or a DKA at, the, at this point? Yeah, so it's, it is uh, one of the common reasons why people come back. Um, whenever we have our QI meetings, it's often that there's at least one or two patients per three-month period where DK was missed. Uh, I have different examples. One patient, for example, came in with some chest pain and tachypnea. They thought it could be pneumonia. They did a chest X-ray. It was normal. Uh, sent back home. And then they had to come on the next day get a, being lethargic. And they found that the patient actually had DK and was just breathing fast with tachypnea because of acidosis. The other more common cases are patients who come in with abdo pain and vomiting, and then they think it could be appendicitis, they do appendicitis workups negative, send home, and then come back the next day in, again, DKA, uh, because they also are getting worse and worse. So the, this is, or gastroenteritis is another good one, another common one, where patients come in multiple episodes of vomiting and thought to be gastro, they tolerate some PO, and then they're sent home. Again, they come back the next day, not uh, feeling well. So it's it's in the back of all our minds in pediatric emerge because we do see DKA often. It's not something that's like we at least once per month we're going to be seeing. Each individual physician might see one case um, of DKA. Uh, the, the things that we've learned to sort of look for is just on history. If there's any weight loss course, you know, drinking more, peeing more, it might not be a common question that you'll ask, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things you should ask for kids, how they've been doing in general over the past few weeks or months. If the mom and dad start saying that the patient's been losing weight um, or being more tired or using the bathroom more over the past few months, that's something that should maybe make you think of DKA. If the patient's having only vomiting with no diarrhea, uh, you know, gastro, it's possible that you have vomiting without diarrhea, but that's something that might make you want to ask further questions, you know, try and see if this is possible, that it's DKA. And then any, DKA can present in funny ways. You know, you could have um, 
patients, like I mentioned, who came in with who came, that came in with the kidney. So, if you have a patient that uh, doesn't really fit the diagnosis, for example, here was thought could be pneumonia, then just ask a few more questions, and you might get a few hints that'll take you to think that it could be DKA in the end. Uh, I mean, I've seen a patient with DKA who came in with uh, pneumomedistinum. Um, and uh, because of uh, how severely the patient had the kidney. And I also had patients who came in with DK with a tender abdomen. So it's the, it can come in in a funny way, but whenever, so what if I, I'd say like the, the best things to do is whenever you take history from a patient, maybe ask in general, how has this kid been doing? Because DK usually has a history for like a, a period or at least two weeks where the patient's been not doing so great. And if the patient has just coming in with vomiting, ask about diarrhea. And again, if there's no diarrhea and just vomiting, because abdo pain and vomiting is a very common reason to come, then think about you know asking more questions about DK. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. Thank you. Yeah. So to summarize, yeah. So um, 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 if the patient comes with one atypical history, um, or the history it could it, couldn't be explained by a disease process that I could fit on the patient or the patient has abdo pain with vomiting only, then maybe I should ask uh, more questions. Or in general, I should always ask how the patient has been doing in the last few weeks and if they're losing weight or not. Um, good, thank you very much. Uh, so let me move to the next question, um, Noor. So now we have the diagnosis established as DKA and we started to manage the patient. So I, I want to just touch on the management of DKA and we both know it's different in, uh, from adults uh, to peds. So um, could you summarize for me what's the main differences or the main steps of managing DKA and, and the peds population? Yeah, so the, the biggest difference in adults and peds is that kids have a higher risk of cerebral edema. So in adults, I think the risk is almost negligible. Like it's, uh, it's very low. But in peds, it's 1%. Um, we don't really know why they get the cerebral edema. Um, there have been different theories. Um, some of the things that they found in patients who have had gotten cerebral edema, uh, when they looked retrospectively, there were some risk factors. One was giving bicarb. Two was being less than five years of age. Three, starting insulin too early, less than one hour of presentation. Four is bolusing fluids too fast. Um, and uh, five, having more severe DKA. So they found that having these risk factors retrospectively, more, more, or these factors were found more commonly in patients who had cerebral edema. Why? We're not sure. So the management of DKA um, is basically tailored to avoid these risk factors. And uh, not all, like the ones you can uh, avoid. So for example, if a patient comes in with uh, DKA, um, you don't want to give fluids too fast because that has been associated with cerebral edema. You don't want to start insulin too early. Again, because it's been associated with cerebral edema and you never want to give bicarb uh, yourself without consulting uh, IC um, or specialist in DKA. And I've never seen bicarb be given, even in patients with like a pH of seven of six point eight. Um, I they have not given like I had a patient once with six point eight pH, and we did not give uh, bicarb. So you, when the patient comes in, you do uh, a gas, 
based on the gas, um, you're going to know like if the pH and the bicarb is low enough to be diagnostic for DKA. You should also check ketones if possible. You don't really have to wait for the ketones if the history and the gas kind of match with the diagnosis. And then you start the fluid bolus. Um, the rate in which you start this fluid bolus is different in different centers. But normally, like textbook, it's uh, 10 ml per kg given over one hour. If the patient is in, um, is in shock, um, then you can uh, give the bolus over half an hour and give a second bolus of 10 per kg over a second half hour. That's a maximum of 20 per kg in one hour. After you wait for one complete hour, then you can start the insulin at 0 0.1 milligram per kg as an infusion, IV. Um, and that's a sort of basic management of the of DK when they first present. After that, you can uh, you start having to do things like replace potassium. Uh, you increase the, the IV fluids to about 1.5 to 2 times maintenance uh, with frequent glucose checks and uh, electrolytes checks with gases. And uh, most of the time, ICU uh, sort of manage these patients in most hospitals. Excellent summary. Thank you, uh, Noor. In, in my understanding, you'll continue with the insulin infusion until uh, you close the anion gap and the patient can tolerate orally, orally, and then you switch to sub-Q uh, insulin. That's the adult uh, management. And um, I, I'm not, I think the PEDS is similar, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's almost the same. Once you get out of the beginning, I'd say the first hour, um, things sort of become more similar to adults, you know, where you just monitor the urine output, you adjust fluids dependingly, you change the potassium in the fluids depending on the potassium level, you know, and then things like that. You alter the amount of glucose in the IV fluids. Initially, there's no glucose. When you add glucose, um, you can change the insulin rate depending on how fast the glucose is going down. All these things are sort of similar. The main difference between adults and peds is the initial management because uh, of the cerebral edema. Nice. Excellent. Thank you, Anwar. Okay. So I'll get to the cerebral edema. Um, um, so uh, I'll be quite honest. Uh, again, doing my residency, doing my PIDS rotation, I have seen cases of DKA, but not cerebral edema. So my, all my information comes from reading around it. And reading around it, the presentation, based on what I read, could be you know, making you think, oh, this guy is, or this kid is going into cerebral edema. But some other presentation could be interpreted as part of the disease process. So, for example, it can present with vomiting or recurrent vomiting after you start the treatment. It could present as altered mental status, but the kid could have altered mental status because of their hypotensive, because of other causes. So how would you um, trigger the suspicion of uh, cerebral edema with this that's seemingly an unspecific presentation? Yeah, so this is a good question um, because many times people would think the patient is in cerebral edema when actually the patient just uh, hyperperfused, is in shock, and just needs some fluids and would perk up after the fluids, it's the majority of cases. So like I said, it's only 1% uh, them that actually have get developed cerebral edema. So th there are signs. There are some hard signs. You can say some soft signs. It's the way I'd like to divide the two. Hard signs, you say like if you have cranial nerve uh, palsy, you know, then you know that there's probably cerebral edema. If you have decorcutate or decerebrate posturing, 
if you have a patient who becomes comatose, who's only, only responding to pain, for example, then you know, you're likely to have um, cerebral edema and those three main uh, signs. Then you have other signs which are more suggestive. So for example, if you have the Cushing triad, the patient all of a sudden becomes bradycardic and hypertensive. And, and everyone has to be kind of careful for patients, people who are not used to treating pediatrics. Because for example, a five-year-old blood pressure or systolic of 140 and a heart rate of 80 is actually bradycardic and hypertensive. So that's just one point I want to bring up. So that looking for the Cushing triad um, is another one. Another more soft sign would be someone who just has a decrease in Glasgow coma scale, which again, this I, I wouldn't quickly jump to cerebral edema at that point. If you just have someone who looks lethargic and is uh, seems more shocky, um, then what's suggested by the guidelines actually is Give the give fluids, you know, give your 10 ml per kg over half an hour and see if there's some improvement. Because it could just be that the patient's, you know, hyperperfused. If you're giving fluids and you know that half an hour passed, you gave the 10 per kg and there's no improvement, then maybe that should start triggering you. Okay, there might be something. You could do basic things like you know, elevate the head of the bed, call ICU, give the other 10 ml per kg bolus, and then if that again still doesn't work because you replenished a bit of fluid but the patient's not responding, okay, then maybe you really might have cerebral edema and you need to manage accordingly. Okay. So I could have, I could suspect the cerebral edema or I could diagnose it. So if I have the heart signs, then most likely I diagnosed it. If not, then based on what you're telling me, there seems to be a window where I can act so I can give fluid and wait to see if the patient is responding. Uh, so that's what I can understand from what you're telling me. So I don't have to jump on the patient immediately if the patient doesn't have heart signs. So um, let's say I made the diagnosis of cerebral edema. Then the management seems to, but uh, based on what you mentioned in the case, is to decrease the rate of the IV fluids. How much should I decrease the rate of IV fluids? And uh, would you start manitol or hypertonic saline like what we do in adults? So the management is a little bit different in cerebral edema um, uh, and DKA compared to, I guess, uh, someone had head trauma uh, because of one major thing. So just because I want to bring this up at the beginning, intubation. Usually a patient with cerebral edema, you might want to you know, like uh, sedate, give some rocavonium, intubate, you know, take control of the patient uh, because it's having, you know, decreased level of conscious stuff. But in, in, in DKA, um, you don't want to lose your rest drive. It's sort of similar to uh, salicylate poisoning. You know, they're breathing fast because they want to keep their CO2 low because they're acidotic. So if you, you know, try to um, do RSI in the patient and you intubate, um, you need to be careful. You might have, you need to hyperventilate these patients because many of these patients with DKA, their, their CO2 is like 10, you know, because of how fast they're breathing. And you trying to get that with a ventilator might be a bit difficult. I just wanted to start with that. I don't know if adults do the same thing. Um, and then the second part, okay, how are you going to manage the, the cerebral edema? Suspected number one, elevate the head of the bed. Two, this it's suggested to bring down the IV flows to 60% um, and to stop the insulin um, initially. And then, of course, you call ICU and you give uh, either hypertonic or mannitol. Uh, most people... So in the literature, there isn't that much talk about hypertonic because 
previously people used manitone more. However, if you look at the, like for example, the trick guidelines, it would say use either or. And I think in our center, we prefer to give uh, 3% just because it makes a bit more sense physiologically, you know, this patient's probably dehydrated, you're giving some fluid uh, as opposed to mannitol where they're gonna pee more. Um, so that that's up to your own discretion and what you'd like to give, but it's either hypertonic or mannitol. Okay, thank you. I think we um, covered the main uh, pointers uh, related to DKA and uh, cerebral edema. Would you like uh, to um, give it, give me summarize what we talked about or give me the main head headliners? Yeah, of course. So I guess number one, uh, you know, it's uh, something that you should always keep in the back of your head, uh, um, DKA. Uh, whenever you see a patient, as you mentioned, you know, comes in, with, for example, vomiting with no diarrhea, uh, always ask uh, how the kid has been doing before, um, see if there's any chronic history over maybe the past two weeks where things have not been going as well, more fatigue, drinking more, eating more, things like that. Um, second, you know, DK management uh, differs in peds compared to adults. Be careful with your fluids. Um, you're supposed to give, you know, 10 ml per kg over one hour, and if the patient's in shock, maybe over half an hour. Um Insulin only should be started one hour after uh, the start of the fluids. Uh, don't ever give bicarb um, unless, you know, ICU uh, asks that you do it um, because, of course, it's associated with cerebral edema. The last and main point is, you know, keeping cerebral edema also in the back of your mind when you're managing these patients, looking for it, uh, looking for any signs of it and uh, in order for you to sort of prepare and act quickly in case the patient really does go into cerebral edema. Uh, it's mostly a clinical diagnosis in DKA. You don't really have to rush the patient to the CT scan because if the patient starts really showing signs of cerebral edema and you're worried about it, speak to ICU, they think that this might be uh, the case, then you should just start management. Uh, I think those would be the big uh, take-home messages that I'd like to give. Perfect. Thank you very much, Noah. I really appreciate the time you gave us to discuss uh, DKA and the PEDS population. I will attach um, 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 a guideline, one of the recent guidelines to the episode uh, description. So uh, whoever is interested to learn more about uh, um, this topic can uh, um, can read um, on it. Um, again, uh, thank you very much. This was um, a very fun discussion. Thank you. And also, like, I guess if you're talking about guidelines, I, I'd suggest you look at the TREK, T-R-E, I think, T-R-E, um, TREK, K-K, uh, so the Canadian Pediatric uh, Guidelines. And I actually have a nice algorithm. You can just follow the algorithm in the management of DKA. It includes cerebral edema and everything. Fantastic. And I'll be sure to include a, a link in the episode description. Thank you very much, Noor. I hope to see you soon. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.